131. So we're going to focus on Psalm 131 uh, this afternoon. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we're going to spend some time uh, focusing on this text. All right? So here it is, Psalm 131. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful that you offer us a quiet soul. Our souls are so loud with a host of different things, and thank you so much that you offer to quiet us. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus, and he himself said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Today, God, I pray that we will be a people who, who we don't sit above your word like critics today, but we sit beneath it as servants, eager to hear from you and eager to respond to you in faith and obedience. Help us to declare in the depths of our soul today that whatever you tell us to do this afternoon, we'll do it. We trust you with all that we have. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm, I'm going to share this story with you guys, all right? And so I, I know you guys are looking at me like, this brother's over here sitting down with a boot on his leg, and so I guess let me give you the full story of what happened. And so uh, about uh, three weeks ago, I was preaching at a high school camp, and it was the very beginning of the camp. It was like Tuesday, and it was about 30 minutes before I was supposed to preach, right? And so I'm on the basketball court, and this little kid, I was about to leave the gym. I was by myself in there for a bit. High school kid came in there and challenged me to one-on-one, and I can't turn down a challenge, right? And, um, And so because in my mind, I'm thinking I'm still young, I'm relatable. Like in my mind, I feel 20, right? I know y'all are looking at me, and you're like, Eric, you look 20. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. But uh, so I, I'm, 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 he's guarding me. I have the ball. I cross over. I have visions of Allen Iverson in my head, right? So I cross over. I push off with my right leg. And then right when I do that, I hear a loud pop, loud. The whole gym heard it. And it was accompanied with a burning uh, sensation, right? And what that was, was my Achilles tendon loudly reminded me that, Eric, you're no longer 20, you're almost 40, right? And so, so I, like, in that moment, I ruptured my Achilles tendon, right? And, but what's interesting about that is that before that moment, I had never paid attention to my Achilles tendon, right? Like, like you, you don't really pay attention to it, right? Like, before that moment, I can't tell you how many times I've intentionally thought about my Achilles. And that was until it got real loud, it popped, Right? And, and I'm going somewhere with this today. The reason why I didn't pay attention to my Achilles tendon before that moment is because a healthy Achilles tendon doesn't call attention to itself. Like it, just, it just works, right? It only calls attention to itself when something is wrong with it, right? And in my case, my Achilles called attention to it by being really loud and painful. And I'm going to bring this home to you guys today, right? My Achilles was really loud a couple of weeks ago, but I can bet that many of us, our souls are loud this afternoon. Our souls are loud this afternoon. Eric, what are you talking about? Well, what is a soul? All of us have a soul. A soul is an immaterial part of you. It's a part of you that thinks. It's a part of you that feels. It's a part of you uh, that desires. It's a part of you that actually makes uh, you, you. 
And our souls, like my Achilles, are not meant to call attention to themselves. They're meant to simply and naturally do the work that they were created to do, namely to glorify God, right? And so our souls are meant to go about that work, and the fact that our souls are loud tell us that something is wrong with them. So my Achilles, hear me today, my Achilles declared that there is something that was very wrong with it when it made a loud noise that sounded like a pop. And hear me today, your soul indicates that there is something wrong with it because every day you hear a loud noise in your soul, and that noise is me, 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 me. And so I say this, a loud Achilles is an unhealthy Achilles, and a loud soul is an unhealthy soul. And so that brings me to Psalm 131. Because in Psalm 131, specifically verse 2, David advertises the fact that he's found quiet. He's found quiet. His soul went from loud to quiet, right? He declares that, and then he encourages the people of God to find the quiet as well. And so I love this psalm because today we're going to explore some questions in this short text. That's going to help us. We're going to explore where does the, where does the noise come from? Like, like, what does a loud soul sound like? What is it, where does a quiet soul come from? And then how do I get that? How do I get a quiet soul? And so with that said, I'm going to address the first question really quickly. Where does the noise come from? Well, take a look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. And in this verse, what David is declaring is that he's saying, listen, he's revealing what he left behind. He's learned to quiet the me, 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 me in his soul, Right? And, and, and what he's talking about here, and you can see as you keep reading, what he's talking about here is pride. Pride. He's learned to, to, to turn the, the noise down of me. And this noise, as we see in the verse, first part of verse 1, it seems like it's a result of exalting ourselves or lifting our hearts up to the place that only God should be. So we see in Psalm 148, that verse, uh, that Psalm 148, I think it's the verse 11, it declares that God's name alone should be exalted. And yet in our pride, what do we do? Instead of placing God as the focal point of our thoughts, affections, and desires, instead of exalting him, we remove him from the pedestal. And what we do is we place ourselves there and we were never meant to do so. And it's loud. It's loud. And I know some of you are thinking, Eric, okay, cool, cool, Eric, what are you talking about? What does it mean for a soul to be loud? Well, let me try to explain this to you by way of analogy. I hope this helps. And so there are a few noises that are worse than the loud noise of screeching feedback. You've heard feedback before, like coming through, coming through a speaker, right? It's just loud. And let, let me explain the process to you. It typically happens when a microphone is too close to a speaker, right? And so what happens is that when someone is talking, that noise, the, the microphone catches the noise, the speaker receives the noise, the speaker puts out the noise, but the issue is that the mic is so close to the speaker that that sound that the speaker puts out, it goes back into the microphone, back out the speaker, back in the microphone, speaker receives it, back out the speaker, over and over and over again, and then it makes this loud, unbearable noise called feedback. And I'll summarize that in this way. Feedback is a loud noise that happens because a speaker, like a speaker light right there, it's not supposed to receive the same noise that it puts out. Y'all get where I'm at? And something like that happens in a soul without God. A loud soul happens, came with me, because your soul is not meant to receive what it puts out. Hang with me, all right? So we're meant to exalt God. 
And, and what that means, to put it another way, that all that we say and do, all that we produce, all that we put out is meant to glorify God. And then when we do that, what we get in return is we receive the affirmation and, and the identity from God that our soul needs, right, that our soul hungers for. You get that from God. Hang with me. When we remove God, all you have is you, right? So instead of receiving the affirmation and identity from God that our souls desperately need, we actually aim to receive affirmation and identity from what we put out, right? And so I'll explain. For many of us, we put out our work, and then we trust our work to give us back the affirmation and identity that our souls desperately need. So we think, I did good work, therefore I'm good. I'll keep going. It may mean like, yo, you put out an amazing family. Yo, y'all got a nice family photo. You got 3.5 keys, and, and, and you got a dog in the photo, the dog smiling too. Like a beautiful family, right? You put out a beautiful family, and then you trust in that as proof as if you are a worthy human being. Or maybe you look at your bank statement, and you're, and, and you're not like me, and I spent all my money on Uber Eats, right? And say you look at your bank statement, you're doing pretty good, right? And that becomes where you get your sense of self from and your sense of worth. So just like it gets loud when a speaker receives the same noise that it puts out, here's the thing. Our souls get loud when we receive what we put out. And what's interesting about this is that the very thing that we think will cause us peace, it doesn't. It makes it, it, makes it loud. Because it's never enough. You're constantly wondering, no matter what you put out and receive back, you're constantly worrying, man, am I successful enough? And, and, and why do I feel like I'm not? And what if something happens to that thing that I'm trusting in to give me a sense of identity and self-worth? And are there other people out there doing better than me right now? And it, but here's the thing. Your life was never meant to be a feedback loop where you are affirmed by what you put out. Like, look at the next line of, 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 of verse 1. And what I love is this. It's that David is saying here, hey, I've learned to actually turn it down. So, so, so let's see in this next part of the verse what that noise sounds like more. So what happens is when you preoccupy with yourself and you place yourself on, 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 on at, you exalt yourself, what tends to happen is that leads to a preoccupation with your place uh, before other people. So, so look at the next part of verse 2, um, verse 1. It says, my eyes are not raised too high. In other words, in other parts of scripture, that, 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 that means haughty eyes. And what that means is this. It's that these are eyes that are always looking around to see how they're being perceived by others. You're always comparing yourself to see uh, how you measure up. And, 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 if, uh, and what you end up doing as a result of that is that either you end up boasting or you end up despairing. And I know for me, I know for many, uh, for many of us, I do as well. Man, I struggle often um, with some of this, right? Like, for many of us, everything that we do is driven by how other people will perceive us. So like what we wear and what we drive and what we look like, all of this is us. We can't stop this inner voice that tells us to measure up to other people. I love C.S. Lewis, that he describes this well. He calls it pride, but I want to read you this quote because I think he hits the nail on the head about what pride essentially is. So, so listen to this, guys. He says, pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. He says this, while other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, 
only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. He says, once the element of competition is gone, the pride is gone. Y'all hear what he's saying? He's talking about how pride is essentially competitive. Pride is essentially comparative. And here's the thing. You may sit in this room and you may be like, hey, I don't have pride in me because, like, I, I know where I am compared to other people. I know I'm not above them. But, but if pride, hear me today, if pride, if pride declares I'm higher than you, hear me. Jealousy and envy declares I deserve to be. Like, how many times have we ever looked at somebody I know I've done this, and they have what we think that we deserve, and we think, what's so great about them? Maybe it's somebody, maybe, I guess maybe it's somebody who has the accolades or the relationship that we want or the success that we want. We compare and we say, man, I, I should have what they have, and we can't stop determining our sense of worth based on our uh, place before other people. And here's the thing, I'm going to keep going. Our pride and self-preoccupation also leads us not only to constantly um, think about our place in relation to other people, it leads us to the end of verse 1, to occupy ourselves with things too great and too marvelous for us. Here's the thing, when you remove the God of the universe, the one who is omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing from, 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 uh, from the pedestal of your life, and you put yourself there, where the weight of your entire existence falls on you, <laughs> And you can't stand it, and you get overwhelmed, right? Since we're not God, since we're not all-knowing and omnipotent and, omni and omnipresent, we become preoccupied with things above our pay grade, and we quickly become overwhelmed. I know at the church that I pastor, I often see this um, in an unhealthy fixation about the future. So I got so many people who, instead of simply following God's revealed will, they're so concerned with God's secret will. So instead of being a people who are constantly like, how do I follow God today? How do I honor him today and trust him with my future? We're often concerned with a whole bunch of things that he hasn't declared in his word. And these aren't wrong things. Many people are, are, are nervous about, man, do I take this job or that job? Or, or do I move here or stay here? Or do I date this person or marry this person? And the issue is that they are so paralyzed and they're thinking, man, if I make the wrong choice, that means that I'm out of God's will, then uh, my life will spin out of control. But, and and let, me, let me say this today. It's not wrong to prepare for the future. It's not. However, for many of us, we are so occupied with God's secret will for our future rather than his revealed will for our present. And we forget this because his revealed will in his word is so key because if we obey his revealed word in the present, he won't drop us in the future. He'll lead us to the future where we need to go. But this is one of the ways that I constantly see um, people um, being occupied with things too great and too marvelous for them. So, so, so let me say this. Like, if we look at all of verse 1 together, if I had to summarize all of this in one statement, like what is the loud soul? The loud soul, it stems from an unhealthy self-preoccupation. Right? You're concerned about me, 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 my glory, my place, my future. And just like we cannot relax when we have the loud noise of feedback in our ears, 
You cannot relax when you have the loud noise of me, me, me in your soul. You, you, you can't do it. You can't relax when you're consumed and anxious about, about keeping your place in the world and you're envious about other people and you're anxious about what you're doing and how you're coming across and you're anxious about the future because you don't have control and, and, and we're trying to quiet the noise and we can't do it on our own. And I, love, and I guess let me ask you this question. Don't you want to be free of the noise? <laughs> don't you want to be free of the me, 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 the constantly being worried and anxious about yourself? And I love verse 1. David is declaring, listen, I've learned it. I've learned to quiet my soul. He says, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So how does he do it? Next question. Where does a quiet soul come from? Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Man, he's saying, listen, I've learned. I've learned the quiet life, man. I've learned how to not, like, be insecure. And I'm not constantly fighting for respect and my place in the world. And I'm not comparing myself to other people and always insecure that I haven't done enough. And I'm not self-preoccupied. And I'm not in this endless feedback loop anymore. He's learned to get out of that. And we actually see a bit of how he does it in the illustration that he gives in verse 2. He says that his soul is like a weaned child with its mother. And there's so much in this illustration. And I'm going to give it to you because I've seen this process happen twice. Mother's in a room. Y'all get how this process happens. A weaned child is a child who has finally learned that she does not have to yell and scream in order to get what she wants. As she's finally learned she doesn't have to yell and scream in order to get fed. And, and, and I know moms in the room gets this, but, like, if you've ever seen a hungry baby that's not weaned, that baby's tireless, fussing, crying, not quiet. And what's interesting about the baby, here's the thing, hear me today. What's interesting about a baby is that I think they think that, I think they think that it is their crying that gets them fed. Right? Like, they don't know. They just know that they make a loud noise and the food automatically comes. But hang with me. When a child is weaned, they realize, finally, that it is not their loud cry that gives them the food. They realize that there is someone more capable that gives them what their belly needs. Hang with me. They understand that they actually have a mom who knows how to feed them and cares enough to do so. Right? So, so I'll, I'll tie all this in a bow. The baby no longer has to be self-preoccupied anymore. Because the baby is free from worrying about herself because the baby realizes that she has a mama that is preoccupied with her, right? So I'm going to keep driving this point on home. Y'all, there is no one that is more occupied with their children than mothers. Now, listen, I love my kids, but I think my wife has an extra love like for, like, like for our kids. And you know this because if you go to any new mom's social media page, you can see 20 photos of the same baby in the same outfit, right? And you're like, yo, there's 20 photos of the same outfit with the same baby. And the mom is like, nah, she got a bow on in this photo. And so that, that's different. She got different shoes in this photo. Like, mommies are preoccupied with their children. I'll give you a personal example here, too. Man, when we first had our oldest son, we didn't know what we were doing. It was almost as if when they sent us home with him, we were looking at them like, hold on. Like, who's helping us out when we go home, right? So we get home. We didn't know what we were doing. And so uh, first week or so, man, my wife was getting no sleep because every single time the baby, like, breathed hard, she waking up, checking on him. 
And so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And so, like, finally, I told my wife, trying to be a good husband. I said, hey, babe, do this. How about you sleep in the bed? I'm going to go sleep on the couch, right? I'm going to have Eli, my oldest son, in the bassinet beside me. If he stirs, I ain't got to wake you for that. But if he wakes up, he's crying, he's hungry, I'll come and I'll bring him to you. So that's what I said, right? Good plan, I'm a good husband. All I know is three hours later, right? I wake up and I look up and all of I see is my wife holding my son and both of them are looking at me with an utter look of disappointment. I don't know if you've ever seen a month-old baby look at you with a look of disappointment. But I saw it that night, right? Apparently, I slept through the whole crying phase. Like, that was me. My wife was across the house, and she heard him. And she came, and she got him. Why? Because mothers are preoccupied with their children. Hear me today. In the scriptures, God is our father, right? So Jesus tells us to call God father in the Lord's Prayer. However, there are places in the scripture where God compares himself to a preoccupied mother. Let me give you one. Isaiah 49, 15. It says, can a woman forget a nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. I love this because, listen, a child is able to rest because they realize that there is someone more capable than him that's preoccupied with him. And in this verse, God declares that he is obsessed and preoccupied with his children. So I hope you're able to see right here how to get a quiet baby, but I hope you see even deeper than that how to get a quiet soul. Because hear me, the quiet soul comes from the fact of you realizing that you have a capable and caring God that is preoccupied with you. You can rest when somebody more capable than you is preoccupied with you, right? Here's the thing. Let me bring it down to us. What you produce, what you put out will never be enough to fill your longing soul. Uh, Blaise Pascal, he's a French philosopher, man. He said this quote that stuck with me. He says, every single human being has a God-sized hole in his heart, and you constantly try to fill it with stuff. And the only thing that will fit there is God. So what we do is we try to fill that God-sized hole with achievements, and we try to fill that God-sized hole with things that we try to put out there. But here's the thing. What quiets your soul is the knowledge that there's a God in heaven who knows how to give you what you need, and he cares enough to do it. This is what it is. This is how to get the quiet soul. And David says here, this is me. My soul no longer has to be loud with self-preoccupation. I don't have to go get it because there's a God in heaven who knows exactly what I need, and he's determined that he'll give it to me. The affirmation and the identity that your soul needs, you don't have to work for. You have a God in heaven who's able to give it to you. He's able to give it to you. He's able to give you. You can rest in him. You can find the care and the affirmation that your soul needs. And I'll put it even in a better way. Our souls get calm and quiet. When instead of crying, me, 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 we entrust our souls to the God who's got me. Right? And so here's the thing. What I love about this psalm is this. Is if this verse, if this chapter ended at verse 2, it's only David declaring that, hey, I found it. But this is why I love verse 3. Because in verse 3, David gets up from his prayer and he declares to the people of God how they can find a quiet soul too. So look at verse 3. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I love this because the first two verses, David is addressing God. We, we get a window into his private prayer life. He's praying to God. He's declaring how he's grown spiritually to God. He's thanking God for the fact that, God, thank you for helping me move from loud to quiet. I've learned 
I've learned the secret of a quiet soul. But then he gets up, dusted off his knees, and he declares, oh, Israel, right? He's declaring to them how to get the quiet soul. And how do we get it? How do we get to the point where our souls can be quiet and not call attention to themselves and just work? How do we get it? I think we see it here. It's the discipline of hope. Of hope. And I'll drive it home because in our lives, we hope in a lot of things to give us the kind of peace that only God can give. I've declared a few. We hope in our work. We hope in our production. We hope in our success. We hope in our relationship. We hope in a host of things to quiet our souls. And like feedback, it just keeps getting loud. And we could receive, hear me today, a quiet soul by hoping in God's sovereign care rather than our own. Instead of hoping in ourselves to produce a quiet soul, we hope in God rather than ourselves. We receive a quiet soul, like I said before, when we realize that we have a capable God who is capable of caring for us better than we are caring for, better than we are able to care for us. Right? And let me give you one thing, because verse 2 implies this. You receive the care by being a child. I think there's a reason why verse 2 declares uh, the whole mother weaning. Like that mother ain't comforting nobody else's kid. That mother is comforting her own kid. You receive the quiet soul by becoming a child of God. All right, I'm going to share y'all a story to drive this point home. It's going to paint me in a bad light, but if it helps you understand the sermon, I'm going to give it to you, right? So I remember years ago, I was in a grocery store. Actually, I think I was in Target, right? So I'm in an aisle. I was the only person on the aisle except closer to the end of the aisle, there's like a two-year-old baby. Couldn't have been more than three walking towards me. Baby's crying, snot all over the place, and we're the only two people on the aisle. And the baby reaches up to me, little blonde-haired kid, like reaches up to me to pick her up. All I know, first of all, I don't know why the baby came up to me anyway. Maybe I got to walk him in face, right? But all I know is this. I didn't pick up that child. And y'all know why. Because there was an inherent fear in my mind that as soon as I picked up that child to quiet that child, to comfort in that child, mama was going to hit that corner. And was going to see me holding her child, and all of a sudden I'm being led out of Target in handcuffs, Right? And so why didn't I pick up that child? Because I'm not that parent's child. I mean, I'm not that child's parent, right? I was nervous about it all. But here's the thing. Last week, I was in Target, and there was a crying child, and I picked that child up to quiet them. Why is that? That was my kid, right? The difference between the two is this, is that the, 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 the time that the, the crying child was mine, I was able to quiet that child because that child was mine. That child had my last name. Here's the thing. We got a God in heaven who desires to give you his last name. We got a God in heaven who deeply desires for you to become his child so that he can quiet your soul. He offers the quiet of soul to his children. He's given everybody equal opportunity to become one. I don't know where everybody is in this room. You may be in this room and you're like, listen, man, I came in here off the street, man. I don't even know about this Christianity stuff. But, but hear me today. You may look around and you may be thinking, all right, cool, all these people, man, they're holy and then thou, whatever. Hear me today clearly. There's nobody in this room that deserves to be a child of God. Not one of us. Not one of us. Instead of trusting, I'm going to explain the gospel here. And the, instead of trusting God, we trusted ourselves, every single one of us. Every single one of us at some point in our lives, we became preoccupied with ourselves. Our hearts were lifted up. Our eyes were raised too high. 
We occupy ourselves with things too great and too marvelous for us. We live, what that means is we live for ourselves. We did not trust God. We didn't obey God. We live for ourselves. And in our rebellion, we do not deserve God's care. What we deserve is his wrath. But thanks be to God that he's a God of infinite grace. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Jesus came and lived a perfect life in full obedience to his father, the kind of life we did not live. He died a death on the cross in our place for our sin. He rose again, proving that he's God, Jesus, and that he's victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And what that means is this, is that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, when you say, I'm leaving my old self-preoccupied self behind, and I'm entrusting myself to a God who's got me, I'm entrusting myself to Jesus Guess what? In that moment, you can become a child of God, not by anything that you've done, but by grace. And you can experience the kind of love and affirmation that you've been looking for your entire life. You find that in God. We can experience the kind of quiet that our souls have been looking for our entire lives. The quiet that we've been attempting to find in our success, in our achievements, in the affirmation of other people, in our relationships, and we can't seem to find it. God has given you an opportunity to hope in him. But you may think about me even as I close right now, and you're thinking, okay, Eric, cool. Like, I am a child of God, and I get that part. But if I'm honest with you, I, my soul is still loud. I can't turn it down. Every conversation, man, I'm thinking about how this, how this affects me, and I'm constantly thinking about myself, and I'm constantly worried about the future, and I'm anxious, and I'm worried all the time, and I'm restless. How do I get beyond that? Like, I know Jesus is Lord. But I think the answer is still in verse 3. We keep hoping in him. Verse 3, at the end of it, is, what's interesting is, is the psalmist is actually talking to the people of God. He says, oh, Israel. Oh, Israel is the people of God, right? He says, hope in the Lord. And I think the key is here. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. When you become a child of God, you don't just hope in God one time. It's every single moment of your life that you are, uh, you are tempted to, to, to produce your own affirmation. Every single time in your life that, that, that you think the affirmation and the identity that your soul needs, you're tempted to believe that it comes from somewhere else rather than God. That's a moment once again that you have to once again hope in God rather than other things. Because every day we are tempted to think that in order to get the affirmation that our soul needs, we need to exalt ourselves. Man, we hope in so many things to give our souls a satisfaction that only God can give. Hope in so many things. And it doesn't work. And what we need in that moment, when we start to feel that, we need to take that as a prompt to refocus our hopes off of those things, off of ourselves, and on, and on to the only person who can feel our longing soul. Psalm 107.9 says this, that, 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 that he fills the longing soul with good things. Right? And what I'm talking about here, I'm going to make it really practical. What I'm talking about here is worship. When you think about how to practically hope in the Lord rather than those other things, what I'm talking about is worship. Worship is you bringing to mind that you have a God in heaven who is more capable of filling your soul than you are, and he's willing to do it. That's what it is. Worship kills the noise of self in your soul. Let me give you a brief analogy before I close. So, um, at the church that I, um, that I pastor um, at, we moved into a new building, and um, the building is, has really tall ceilings, right? And um, typically in a, in, a, in, a, in a building that kind of size and tall, you have these sound panels on the wall, right? 
And what sound panels do is it controls the noise in the room, right? And so what it does is it absorbs the noise so, it, so it's not echoey in the room. So we didn't have those at first. So whenever we would play drums or we would ever play keys or whatever, it, the worship wasn't as beautiful as it could be because it was just loud and echoing and the drums were just loud. But that was until we hung those panels. And what happens is when we hung those panels, those panels absorb the echo in the room so that we could hear the beauty of the music. And hear me today. Light those panels kill the echo in the room. When we worship, worship catches and kills the echo of me, 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 me in the soul. So we can have the beauty of a quiet soul. Because here's the thing. Our soul, like, you can't worship God and be preoccupied with yourself in the same moment. This is how we get a soul that simply glorifies God and it's not loud with me, 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 me. What if every single time we were so concerned and anxious about ourselves, what if we use that almost like a doorbell, like almost as a prompt to do something? What if we use that as a prompt to worship? What if we use that as a prompt to worship? Because here's the thing. I said it before. When we meditate on the goodness of God, the worship begins to crowd out the me, me, me of the soul. And you focus on the one who's got you. So as I close, when we focus on the self, we get the loud noise of feedback in the soul. But when we focus on him, what do we get? I'm going to give you a verse. It's a, it's a little known verse, but it's an amazing verse. I've meditated on this verse for the last year. Zephaniah 317. I love this verse. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Catch this. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. Think about it. That verse is declaring there's, God, there's a God in your midst. And when you begin to focus your attention to him, focus your attention to the fact that he saves, he rejoices over you, he loves you, your soul begins to get quiet. It's weaned. It's at peace. Because you realize when you focus on him, you realize, hold on, my soul is in more capable hands than his hands rather than my own. I'm not declaring this is a cheat code. I'm not saying that every time I'm anxious, if I simply just take a moment and pause and I worship, my soul will automatically get quiet. What I'm saying is, is this. When you form that habit of when you are self-preoccupied and you call your attention to God, over time, your soul will be shaped to become more quiet. It will be. And what happens as I close? When we delight in God, when we worship him, and we truly receive the affirmation and the identity that our souls desperately long for, what we get is an amazing, what we get is an amazing thing. We begin to experience the fact when we delight in God that he also delights in us. That last part of the verse says this. It says he rejoices over you with loud singing. Maybe the fact of the matter is that we don't hear the fact that God rejoices over us. We don't hear that in the depths of our soul that we are loved, that we are his child. We don't hear it because we're so focused on ourselves and the feedback of our souls has crowded out the beauty of his singing. He rejoices over you with loud singing. I pray in Psalm 131 that you'll find the same kind of quiet soul uh, that David found. I'm going to take a moment to pray for you, and then we'll go ahead and close today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, God, we thank you so much that you offer a peace that we can't, 
we can't find on our own. You offer a peace that passes all understanding. Father, thank you that your Savior came, Jesus, our Savior came and lived a perfect life and died a death on the cross in our place for our sins. He rose to save us. He did all of that to give us the rest that we long for. Thank you that we can uh, receive the offer that Jesus gives us, where he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Father, I pray for everyone in this room who their souls are just loud right now with anxiety and worry and anxiousness, and they're constantly worried about themselves. I pray that you'll give them the rest of a quiet soul, the rest that we are in more capable hands, that you are preoccupied with us, and that you are able to give us what our souls desperately need. Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.